and welcome to The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And in this quick hit episode, we're going to be taking a look at the uh, <laughs> the Georgia State uh, RICO indictments against Trump and a whole slew of co-conspirators, including Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Mark Meadows, Jeffrey Clark, Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, and my favorite last name, uh, John Cheeseboro, <laughs> in which I imagine an entire town made of anthropomorphic varieties of cheese. Um, but, uh, you know, Rico statutes are something that I think uh, are often misunderstood. They're brought up a lot in fiction, but probably not something that most people know a lot about. So Sarah, take it away. Okay. So first things first, what is Rico? I understand it's always capitalized. I know it's racketeering something, something, something. What is it? <laughs> Uh, so RICO statute, statutes are the uh, Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Woo! Act. So the re- so those came out, as you can imagine, from the racketeering. They came out of the mob era in the Hell mid-20th yeah. century. So we actually first started, the United States started dealing with this sort of organized crime, really, in the 1950s. And weirdly enough, they had to try to prosecute back then uh, under antitrust statutes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which seem inefficient and not particularly applicable. Oh God, that's funny. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's sad. So here we have uh-huh. a situation where we have uh, 19 people, right? Trump and 18 associates uh, working together in a criminal enterprise. So we first saw the these RICO statutes coming in the 70s and the 80s. Georgia's RICO law. Uh, was in 1981. It was deliberately modeled after the federal version, which Congress had enacted to try to go after mafia bosses. Yep. Right? And the reason is, is that the mafia bosses never did the crimes themselves. Yep. Right? They would just be like, oh, you know, it would be uh, helpful. Wouldn't it be nice if someone (laughs) busted up that guy's kneecaps? And then lo and behold, kneecaps get busted. Um, But none of you go after... It's like in like Tanya Harding and her boyfriend. Going after the boyfriend isn't actually the issue here, right? Tanya Harding is the issue. Yeah. Um, so this is what makes them uh, RICO statutes unique. It allows charging for higher ups in a criminal organization and holding them responsible for the acts of people underneath them. And this is shown through what's called a pattern of racketeering behavior, but a pattern under the Georgia statute only involves two or more people seeking to control or protect an interest in an enterprise. This could be a crime family, but it could also be an institution like a political campaign or a presidency. (laughs) (laughs) And in this case, the criminal enterprise had the goal of overturning, um, the results of Georgia's 2020 presidential election, which was won by Joe Biden. Uh, And my favorite thing about this is like, you know, Donald Trump is and always has been a fucking mobster. Like that's the only thing he's ever tried to be is model himself after the Teflon Don, et cetera. Um, And you get the impression like Donald Trump is, like I said, he's a lizard. He's a he's a scarecrow suit full of uh, venomous insects. But you get the idea, even when he's talking to uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State in the famous phone call, that he's not specifically saying, I need you to do some fraud for me. Mm-hmm. He says, I need you to find 
a certain number of votes, yes. right? You, do, do you read that as a sort of knowing, de- uh, deniable, uh, what's it called? Um, it's like deniable, plaus- uh, deni- uh, plausible deniability. Thank you. Yes. Um, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> and um, the reason is you have to, the, the nice thing that the Rico statute does is that it helps you tell a story. Yeah. Right. That you don't have to view that phone call in isolation, because I agree with you in isolation. One could imagine that Trump is spitballing there. Right. He's not <laughs> trying to direct someone to do something uh, illegal. But remember that there are a bunch of acts that you can take in furtherance of a criminal activity. And these include false statements and writings, impersonating a public officer, forgery, filing false documents, influencing witnesses, conspiracy to defraud the state, invasions of privacy, those sorts of things. So in this case with Brad Raffensperger, right, he is soliciting, right? He's soliciting someone to commit one of those predicate acts. Yes. Right? And if Raffensperger had gone along with it, he would have been part of the conspiracy, right? And we can look before and after. So we look before this phone call. Right. Was this just off the cuff? Was it just spitballing? And luckily for us, Trump and associates kept copious notes on the fact (laughs) that they that they were planning together in this phone call to pressure Brad Raffensperger. And I want to note Mark Meadows was also on that phone call. Then the chief of staff, um, uh, uh, president, then President Trump's chief of staff. He was part of conversations like in which they made a plan Right. There's your. Yeah. There's your criminal enterprise. Right. Your enterprise is a bunch, two or more people. Then knowing that they're going to go then pressure this person, soliciting them to right, either submit false statements or writings or right. File a false document. (laughs) Right. One or the other, depending here. Um, And (laughs) and. What I love about that is that it's just so brazen and obvious. And by being able to tell that clear story, they knew that they lost. They cooked up a scheme to try to defraud the the state to do so. They had to solicit crimes by these officials, including Brad Raffensperger. Raffensperger did not go along with it. So they then solicited other people uh, (laughs) to try to do it. And kept notes, records, and they've obviously flipped uh, because they're 30 unindicted co-conspirators. They flipped uh, many other people who can talk about it uh, directly about those things. So that way, all of this web of acts, each individual act may not have been criminal in and of itself. Correct. Right? Sending the emails were not saying, hey, maybe we should, you know, pressure Brad Raffensperger. Potentially not criminal in and of themselves. But when you go to conspiracy, by the way, the, the time you make the first substantial step toward the goal in which the phone call on pressuring Raffensperger is a step. Now you've proven a conspiracy. You have it there, right? You have the organization, and then you have um, the, the first act. And then it lets you, Rico lets you tie all of these together. So Sidney Powell off in like Michigan or Wisconsin or other places in Arizona, all of those are also part of this broader conspiracy. So you can bring in evidence in those stories because even though they're not directly related to Georgia, they're all part of the same criminal enterprise, right? Meant to overturn the 2020 election in its whole, in which Georgia was an important part, but just part, 
but the RICO statute lets you bring in evidence that wouldn't otherwise be allowed to tell that full story. Can I ask a question about, yeah. about, so Mike Pence obviously is, uh, we, we don't know if he is one of the unindicted co-conspirators, uh, probably not, right? Like he was Seems one, like of the, not. one of the first, uh, you know, what I think is so funny about Mike Pence, just like as a character in this whole drama is like, they brought him in to be a serious sort of like, uh, you know, gray flannel personality to make Trump seem more serious. Yes. And I would argue that he failed at that task. But uh, when Trump is like, what if we try to do large crimes? And Mike Pence mm -hmm. is like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, mm -hmm. no. Like the how famous line from Trump to Pence was, you're too honest. <laughs> And I just want to say, like, what is so funny to me about this, and I don't know if this is truly Mike Pence just being his own, like, scouts honor, you know, church boy, or if one of his attorneys was like, hey, I got great news. Not only are you too honest to probably go down for Rico, but, like, just keep saying what yeah. you're saying and you will mm -hmm. have no, you'll have absolutely no legal culpability here. Uh, precisely. That Mike Pence, for all of his shortcomings as a person, did the right thing. Yeah. That's why he's not a co-conspirator because he didn't conspirator because he didn't conspire with them. He may be a witness, yeah, but he didn't have to flip because he was yeah. never involved in the crime. He was actually a potential victim of the crime, That's great. yeah, um, because of the threats against him that Trump was trying to leverage and influence him. But at no point did Pence ever indicate that he was in agreement or was going to go along with it, and in fact, um, did not. Uh, I think that's a really good point because anybody who was trying to play both sides here, who is like, let's just humor Trump and then was like even aided and abetted him in any small way, they might be an unindicted co-conspirator because they were part of the conspiracy. If you send a single email to help out, you make a single phone call to help out, bam, you're part of the conspiracy and you're on the hook for crimes. This is, this is my, this is another thing that really stood out to me is like a, Oh my God. Like, you know, Trump is the epitome of a nightmare boss, like somebody who is delusional, who is completely disconnected from reality. Ego is super fragile. Doesn't like, will rip your head off and shit down your neck for hearing no factually gravity just pulls things toward the center of the earth. That's what it does. Right. Yeah. Uh, and my question is like, is it possible that one of these fucking assholes, maybe an unindicted co-conspirator or something like trying to soften the blow of their nightmare boss and participating just like, oh yeah, I'll make a phone call when the email says like, hey, Trump thinks he won and wants me to do crime and I'm just sending this email so that I can say that I sent an email to you. Don't answer it so I can say that you didn't respond. Is that person reliable or is that person culpable and part of the RICO charges? Or if they ask if they send like you said one email they make one phone call to their old classmate from yale who now works mm -hmm. in the georgia secretary of state's office like what if i would I, if i if that were my position not that i would ever let myself work for someone like trump but <clears throat> i would call i would call the person so there is a record of the call if i were if i had good counsel who was like mm -hmm. here's how not to do crimes is it is it possible that making the call or sending the email, but acknowledging in the phone call that you are uh, humoring the very fragile ego of your boss who has lost, does that take take or give culpability? I mean, humoring him if you're still trying to help 
even half-heartedly, you're still helping. Damn! Um, yeah. Damn! That's the thing, that, like, if you see somebody robbing a bank, and they're like, come True. help me, bro, and you're True. just like, it's my boss, and you're just like, I'll pick, I'll pick up one <laughs> stack of bills and, like, put it over here, you're still part of the bank robbery. Wow. Right? Wow, yes, great, great metaphor. Yeah. And so... You might not, you're probably someone the prosecutors are just like, look, we're going to cut a deal with you. I mean, right. flip in a heartbeat. Flip right. in a fucking heartbeat. Of course. And this is where Trump's money troubles and ego are getting in his way. Yeah. That kind of the genius of this is that, you know, the, the federal indictments um, that Jack Smith brought are very streamlined, right? They yeah. don't bring in, uh, uh, other people are not charged in it. It's just... Um, it's just Trump in this very narrow case. This is a much broader one. There are 19 people involved, but note that they all have really different interests. Yes. So the goal is to try to tear them apart from each other. Yes. And we're already starting to see cracks. Like, for example, Jenna Ellis, you know, conservative commentator, blogger sort of person, um, sure. started off as a Trump stan, but ha- publicly supported, said some nice things about Ron DeSantis. So Trump stopped paying her legal bills. Amazing. And she is one of the co-conspirators here. Yeah. She's one of the other 18 peep co-defendants. So you can see suddenly Jenna Ellis and Donald Trump's <laughs> interests are running quite counter to each other. Yeah. An issue. Rudy Giuliani apparently never got paid a dime for the work that he did for Trump, which is incidentally probably why he never paid. He's getting sued for non-payment in, in uh, other cases. He never got paid a dime. And he has recently gone and begged Trump to pay for his legal bills, which possibly might not be happening. So Rudy also is facing significant time, might have money trouble, may or may not be being uh, his legal bills may or may not be covered by Trump because Trump may not have the money. Let's can we pause and really, really look at just the resplendence of that, Mm -hmm. which is. Rudy Giuliani was America's fucking mayor, right? Like Rudy Giuliani is a piece of shit and a scumbag. Everybody needs to know that straight up. But because he happened to be the mayor during 9-11, he had overwhelmingly positive image from like middle Americans who don't know fuck all about him, right? And again, all he had to do was stay in New York and be a New York scumbag. And none of no one ever had to know. But now we know not only is he a scumbag, he's also a fucking idiot and the biggest mark on planet Earth. Exactly. And now in the irony of ironies, he is being hoisted by his own petard because he (laughs) made his career applying the federal Rico statute as a prosecutor to the mafia. I love it. I love it. I love it. Although I guess he does have the advantage in this case as a defendant who's extremely familiar with the statutes with which he's being charged. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so there are two fun side notes I want to add here. So John Eastman, supposed amazing uh, conservative legal scholar, is not just facing this. He's also facing disbarment proceedings in Maryland. And so in the disbarment proceedings, he has testified at points on his own behalf. And do you know, what's your Fifth Amendment right? Uh, that would be remain silent. I don't know a lot yes. about my Miranda rights, but I know that yes. I should shut the fuck up in custody. Exactly. And you have the right to not self-incriminate. So if someone says, did you kill him? You don't have to answer, right? Correct. If the answer would be, uh, would be incriminating. John Eastman 
waived his Fifth Amendment right to not self-incriminate, which now opens all sorts of lines of question, right, which is insane. Because once you waive it, you cannot reassert it later in the proceedings. I'm fanning. Right? I, I, as a stupid layman, doing my job as a stupid yeah. layman on this podcast, just felt hot all over my yeah. body. when. <laughs> So he's supposed to be this constitutional expert who waived his Fifth Amendment right to to not self-incriminate, which means that for the rest of those proceedings, prosecution can now ask him all sorts of questions and he is compelled to answer because he can know. And if the answer is bad for him, he still has to because he waived his right to not self-incriminate. So he is trying now to delay his disbarment hearings. And one of the reasons is, is that that stuff can be used because yeah. it's under oath. Yeah, yeah, it, say it, yeah, if, say if it. If he self-incriminates there, you can bring those statements in in other situations. Yes! So. I'm so excited. I just got so excited. I just want to note that, like, I have stated before, and I got a little bit of blowback privately from people for stating that, like, every time I look at conservative legal, quote unquote, scholars or experts, people I'm supposed to take seriously, I don't see any. I see a bunch (laughs) of fucking idiots. And, like, John Eastman is being touted as some sort of, like, bastion of of conservative legal intelligentsia. And I'm like, that fucking guy? Like, he makes Alan Dershowitz <laughs> look like Phoenix Wright. <laughs> Sorry, like Nintendo lawyer joke, but you know what oh, I mean. Oh, shit. It also, like, <clears throat> you, you know, when the Fox News text came out, when Fox is being sued by um, Dominion, um, what was amazing, again, like, I these people have a kind of insulation from the consequences of lying, um, that is really awe-inspiring when you look at those texts that are just like these people like Fox News hosts texting each other, these fucking people are nuts. It's obvious Trump lost. Like yeah. uh also the stock price is tanking the more we talk about this. Like <laughs> Tucker. <laughs> yeah, truly. Like the 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 acknowledgement and like the screaming and holding your hairness of what was going on in the background versus what was happening on screen is yeah. like I mean, just imagine, like, just imagine being that insulated from the consequences of your own actions, you know? And the joy of this is that, like, this is the rare area where the law can actually bring a form of justice and bring out the truth. Yeah. And I want to I want to close this and <laughs> with some statements by uh, then Deputy DA Fonnie Willis in 2014. Yeah. She's been very famous for her use of RICO. So she in 2014, she brought RICO charges against um educators in the atlanta public schools who were cheating to inflate test scores and this is what she told the jury quote you don't under rico have to have a formal sit-down dinner meeting where you eat spaghetti but what you do have to do is i'll be doing the same thing for the same purpose you all have to be working toward that same goal in this case the goal was to inflate test scores illegally and now all i have to say is in this case the goal was to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Yep. And I think it's a wonderful summation of why she's going to be an extremely effective prosecutor in this case. She yeah. understands how to use RICO, its usefulness to juries, and then also how to tell that story in a really simple way so that yeah. everyone can understand it. 
listen, we are the the Trump era sucked dick forwards and backwards, but we did get a lot of really badass black women who got uh out in the spotlight and it's like you know, I would have I would have had taken extreme pleasure in watching anybody nail Trump's ass to the wall, but there is a je ne sais quoi, if you will. <laughs> like, yeah. Badass black women DAs and yeah. prosecutors just like getting them, getting them at their necks. Yeah. And treating them just like you would treat anybody else who was charged exactly. with a crime. I want to note here that Fonnie Willis has gone after she has a Rico case against a rapper and his associates. Yeah. And like she has used it in cases where she it's aggressive, but where it makes sense. Wait, is the rapper case um, the um, uh, there's a campaign it's against Young Thug? Young Thug, the, oh. yeah, and other rappers affiliated with the alleged street gang Young Slime Life. That's and funny. yeah, and then there's also she's also pursuing Rico against a group named Drug Rich, which is accused of uh, burglarizing the homes of celebrities and athletes. Wow. Yeah. So, but again, these are all situations in which you have a group of people committing separate criminal acts or acts that may not be criminal in and of themselves, but are part of a larger uh, criminal enterprise. Um, And again, like appropriate uses, aggressive uses, but appropriate uses of the statute. And she's clearly very experienced with this and has a good track record. Um, So I do want to note that there has been a little bit of misunderstanding about the minimum sentencing here. It does carry a minimum of five years. Mm. under the RICO statute, but it does not require that those five years actually be served in jail. It could be five Mm. years of of parole or incarceration or a mix of both. Um, So for those of you who are hoping that Trump is going to be mandatorily (laughs) uh, put in five years in state prison, that's unlikely to happen. Um, (laughs) I'm just saying that like, there's been a little bit of, I think, honest mistakes uh, around the statute because it's a little unclear. That's the case. It could be five to 20, a mix of uh, parole and incarceration. Just yep. wanted to make that clear. Awesome. So, yeah, so that's the uh, Georgia Rico case uh, against Trump and his 18 bestest of friends. Um, <laughs> uh, and we're going to keep following this as it goes forward. Um, there are now enough charges, felony charges against Trump, that the average former president has now been charged with two felonies Uh, (laughs) but this is why often we use medians instead of means um but yes uh on average your president can be uh each president can um uh has been charged with two two felonies so it's an interesting time i just want to say to anybody who's like uh, this is the first time we've ever charged a president with a crime it's like yeah maybe that's the problem like Maybe Nixon should have like done a little house arrest. Like, you know, there were some, you know, some candidates. So I would just say that they're definitely situ I think we should revisit this idea of uh well Trump is forcing us to revisit this idea of immunity <laughs> for former presidents. Yeah. And I can't think of a more voluminous <laughs> I'm just gonna say when he crimed he went big. He crimed so hard. He crimed so hard. He crimed so far. <laughs> <laughs> and in so, the end, it didn't really matter. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he still didn't win. So that's going to do it for us uh, for this very special quick hit episode. Um, this has been the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. 
And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.